Meet your Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts? Are they the exciting new heroes the world needs? Thunderbolts, strike! Today makes at least half a dozen times the Thunderbolts have done the job we used to depend on the Avengers for. It allowed us to move among you, disguising who we really are. The Masters of Evil! In what is now becoming an old story, the Thunderbolts once again save the city. Enough of this hero talk. You will do as you're told. But... He's right. You may be wearing a Songbird costume, but underneath you're just screaming me. I can expose all of you right now. So you see, you really have no choice. You know what? We're done playing these parts. It's time to live these parts. No one betrays Vimo. Figures, just when we go in on this hero thing, our blood runs out. Avengers, Defenders, Thunderbolts, I make any team better. We're Norman Osborn's A-team, and he's the big man in charge now. This isn't the team I used to lead. You, honey, are under arrest. You have to fight for what's right every single day, bulletproof skin or not. The Thunderbolts have worked hard to change people's minds about us, but apparently we've got a ways to go. Hello folks, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new Fanhole spin-off show. This is Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, uh, a show that is probably our most specific spin-off show, like, ever. I mean, like, we have ones for Transformers and Gundam, but, like, this is a show that's going to, it's going to be an index show that's going to focus on a specific Marvel comic, and if the title didn't give it away, uh, this is going to be a show where we go through the entire run of Marvel's Thunderbolts, one issue at a time. And, um, well, basically, the format of the show is we're going to go mostly in chronological order. Uh, we're going to, like, go from the beginning of Thunderbolts, uh, you know, indefinitely, basically, until, like, you know, there are no Thunderbolts issues uh, left or we are dead, you know, whatever comes first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you guys are, like, locked into this, like, you know, until the end of time. You should have, like, you know, looked at the fine print. I'm like, I'm like, when I'm a ghost, I'm like, fight, bolts, I'm coming for <laughs> yeah. you. At Derek's funeral, we're going to be like, okay, Derek, you're still, like, you're still obligated to talk about the fight, bolts issues, yeah. Like, ghost Derek, like, summon him. You know how people like lay roses on someone's coffin? Like we're just gonna lay issues of fight bolts and <laughs> fight bolts and Daniel Ways run. Like we gotta talk yeah. about this shit. Like yeah. come on, man, get yeah. up. But yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, I, I would like to thank my fellow fan holes for indulging me in this because I, I just came up with this idea because if anyone's been listening to the fan holes for a long time, they know that like I'm obsessed with like the Thunderbolts and uh, like. I just know I kind of noticed, and maybe I'm wrong, but I noticed there weren't any like specific podcasts that are dedicated directly, you know, specifically about the Thunderbolts, and certainly like none that like are gonna take the approach that we're gonna take and like examine it, you know, issue by issue and whatnot. So like I thought this might be a, a interesting experiment, if anything. And um, I, I, I got kind of, we kind of got sidetracked there, but I was trying to explain the format of the show. Like, the first half of the show will, will be dedicated to Thunderbolts, like the actual comic, and, you know, we're going to go in chronological order. 
then we're going to take a brief like you know commercial break or whatever and then we're going to come back and we're going to uh review an, a second comic and these will be comics uh selected for their significance to like thunderbolt's history so like you know a villain showing up for the first time a char- you know a character showing up like all these first appearances of these characters and you know we can analyze them and see how they like stack up to where that character is like in the present so like uh, that 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 idea was suggested by Derek, so you know the, I think that's a good a worthy endeavor as well. So. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that I I set out to chronologically do that, but I think I I selected some stories that are sort of character themed. I think yeah. based on that, you know, we can obviously we can discuss what what kind of books you know that will be in the second half and kind of come to a consensus. But you know, yeah, that's basically I think. That that was my conception of it. That we can certainly discuss, you know, where these characters came from, and 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 you know, maybe get some yucks out of you know some of their their you know original appearances compared to you know the their tenure as a Thunderbolt. Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the issue you have chosen for tonight will definitely like run in that category. But uh, I should I should like let you guys introduce yourselves as we normally do. Like oh. Who, what, what, uh, like, uh, who, what shocking reveal will it be as to who is here tonight? Ach, du lieber! I have uh, uh, Adhesive X on my tank top, and it's now stuck to my chest. This is Derek, Derek WC. What's up? Hey, this is Justin, but, like, right now, I'm not sure if I'm me because I'm a hobo. <laughs> If we if we if we take off your glasses and, and shave your beard, then all of a sudden we're gonna be like, oh, it's Justin. <laughs> you gotta get the human torch to like shoot you in the face with fire and stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, if that if that wasn't any indication, um, the first issue in chronological order, at least, that we're going to be looking at is Thunderbolts minus one. Which was uh, this was like a whole month of Marvel books, wasn't it? Like it, like mm-hmm. all they were yeah. all minus one, yeah. and they were all like flat. It was like flashback month, and all yeah. the books like took place like way in the past, and they told yeah. some tale from the you know even before you know the original 1964 issues of like you know whatever Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and you know whatever else. So like this. I would say, like, most of them, or at least this minus one of Thunderbolts, like, probably takes place about, like, 15 to, 10 to 15 years, like, before uh, present day in regards to Thunderbolts number one. So, like, yeah, there's all, you'll see a lot of nods to early Marvel continuity and, you know, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to get into it. I wrote a synopsis for it, and then we'll, uh, you know, get into discussing it. So, Thunderbolts minus one. Uh, the title is Distant Rumblings, and it's written by Kurt Busiek, uh, who wrote, you know, a, a good amount of the early Thunderbolts uh, run, and uh, penciled by Steve Epting, you know, a very uh, reliable and uh, famed artist. Like I said, this this takes place, I would say, based on how old, like, Holly or Jolt is, like, she's like a, like, infant or a toddler, so I'd say it takes place about, like, 12 to 15 years in the past. And, uh, you know, it did, this issue was basically designed to give you, like, a little background on all the members of the team. So, uh, here we go. In a stronghold in the jungles of the Amazon, 
Baron Heinrich Zemo regales his son Helmet, with whom he has just recently become reacquainted with a story of how he battled Citizen V, a masked hero of the Allies back in World War II. Helmet is both impressed and a little put off by his father, as he had largely grown up being raised by his mother. This story is interrupted by Eric Jostin, one of Baron Zemo's faithful soldiers, who reports that the slaves are revolting outside. Heinrich springs into action, rallying his men and quickly quelling the uprising. Helmet and Jostin watch the spectacle from a safe distance, with Jostin expressing his gratitude for the Baron giving him a purpose in life. Helmet is intrigued by his father's charisma and force of will, wishing to know more. In Chicago, a young psychologist named Carla Soften and her friend Joanne go out to lunch after listening to a speech from Dr. Leonard Sampson. Carla expresses the feeling of satisfaction she gets from interacting with her patients and being able to change their lives with mere words. She stops for a moment to make a phone call to one of her patients, where she pretends to be someone else and sows some paranoia in the poor woman. Joanne is somewhat speechless when Carla explains that her practice is too small to lose a patient at present, and she can't afford to have these patients cured just yet. In Wyoming, young Melissa Gold is tormented by the neighborhood kids who mock her criminal mother who abandoned her and her father. She runs home to her alcoholic father who hits her after Melissa tries to talk about her mother. Later that night, Melissa begins to write a letter to her mom asking why she left, but changes her mind and tears it up. She then runs away from home that night and gets into a stranger's car. The man asks her her name and she tells him to call her Mimi. In Queens, New York, mechanic Abner Jenkins engages in his regular ritual of presenting his boss with numerous technical designs he has worked up, including one for a plane so small that it could be worn like a suit. The boss isn't in in interested in Abner's big ideas and tells him to quit wasting his time and be happy with the job he's got. An angered Abner lashes out at his co-workers after leaving the office and at home that evening begins working on his idea to hopefully transcend the chains of obscurity. In Upper Manhattan, the Takahama family marvels at their new apartment. The couple, Robert and Jane, and their little daughter Hallie, have just moved to New York and have a promising future mapped out. A storm breaks out and the family watches it from the window, with little Holly being especially drawn to the lightning. In Lower Manhattan, Paul Ebersol returns home from an unfulfilling date and instead pursues his true passion. In intercepting a radio transmission from the terrorist organization known as Hydra, he dons a battle harness he has developed himself and flies to a neighborhood in Bowery. There, a group of elite Hydra soldiers are attempting to apprehend a super-strong and amnesiac homeless man who smells of fish for some reason. Calling himself, <laughs> calling himself the Fixer, Ebersol introduces himself to the group and, to show what he can do with his battle harness, blasts the mysterious fishy homeless man through a building. Impressed, the Hydra troopers agree to put him in contact with their higher-ups. The homeless man has survived the blast and recalls a name, or his title, the Prince of Some Realm, but it quickly fades and the man stumbles away, never to be heard of again. Back in the Amazon, Heinrich Zemo has rounded up the ringleaders of the Slave Rebellion and asks Helmet what should be done with them. Helmet suggests punishment, but Heinrich instead asks him what he thinks happened to Citizen V back in World War II. 
The Baron reveals that he choked the life out of Citizen V in front of the men he led to utterly crush whatever hopes they had. And this is the lesson Heinrich wishes to impart to his son, that crushing your enemy's hopes are the most important blow you can strike. With that, the Baron executes the Rebellion's ringleaders in front of the rest of the slaves, and promises Helmet that he'll proper, properly school him in the ways of being a Zemo. Helmet is somewhat unnerved by the whole display, but at the same time fascinated by this raw demonstration of absolute authority. It's a taste of power he will never forget. And then we got a cute little, like, Stan Lee head, like, saying, like, Wow, true believers, what a story! Yeah, and that's pretty much the issue, so. I I read this, like, off the rack. Like, I bought this, and I, like, I think back then I, I wasn't as appreciative of it as I am, like, now. So, like, I mean, what what are your guys' thoughts, like, first of all? Like, Derek, what do you think? Is, is this the first time you've read this issue? This, this is this is the first time I've read the flashback issue. So, this is this is me coming to it brand new. I mean, it's, it's Kurt Busiek. Like, obviously, he's got his continuity all lined up and everything. Like, there's a lot of sort of well-placed and sort of brilliant little nods to where things will eventually go, you know, so that's really nice to see. I think, you know, it, it, it's fun to see both Heinrich and Helmet together, you know, and it, it's almost like they're giving you sort of a, a precursor to Avengers 8 in a way, you know, like they're kind of setting that up. And then, you know, with the, the storyline with... Uh, Moonstone, you know, they're kind of setting up the pre, you know, green hair and ponytail Leonard Sampson and her whole tie with the Hulk and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got, you know, of course, you know, the the pre-Beatle, you know, Abner Jenkins setting up his equipment and everything. So that's kind of pre-Strange Tales and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I think my favorite bit was the bit with the fixer because, I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, I, I got a good yuck out of his you know his his sort of pointless date you know <laughs> like where it's like well she was good looking but she was an idiot so who cares you know like and, and that's kind of how he writes her off but like i i think i kind of enjoyed i mean to me the highlight of it of course is fixer running into hobo namor i mean that's that's the best sort of continuity what are you talking about piece. it was it was just some unidentified guy who smelled like fish Yes, the unidentified guy who thinks he's a prince and he, he thinks his name might be Namor, but then he quickly forgets that. He's like, uh, I, I think I think my name's Namor. Bah! It's gone. <laughs> it's like, oh, he totally forgot what he just said. So, But no, no, I mean, I, I, I got a kick out of that especially. And, you know, the I, I think the only stuff that I'm not super familiar with, I think, is the notion that that um you know atlas you know uh power man you know like you know eric Jostin was one of heinrich's men like is that something that kurt Busiek made up or is that something that's always been in marvel continuity i just don't think i've ever been exposed to that aspect I... of his backstory I believe so, but I, I like I can't remember that first issue with Eric Jostin with when he was origi the original Power Man, like in like right. doesn't he like I mean I'm not sure at some point maybe we'll we'll pull it out in the back end yeah. and cover it. 
But, like, I remember, you know. like, he stumbles, doesn't, I forgot if he stumbles onto the, the Zemo's laboratory and, like, like the Enchantress and Zemo, like, turn him oh, into Power okay. Man or whatever, okay. yeah, but okay. I, I forgot how that, like, shook out and how it would fit with this. The, the other thing I kept thinking of is, is am I remembering, like, because I, I have something in my head where I know it's not lined up with comics continuity, but for some reason, I think I had it in my head, like, that that helmet would be younger for some reason. And I keep thinking it's because I'm remembering the, uh, you know, you know, where's the Java Avengers cartoon? Like, wasn't, wasn't there like a weird flashback in that of like, sort yeah. of an Avengers number eight era? That's what I was remembering. Cause I was like, I, I think for some reason I had that in my head when I first started reading this. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was it was never like that in the comics. But, like, for some reason, I think I had that in my head when I first started reading this. So, you know, when he's in that restorative bath where it looks like, I don't know, he's taking a bath in, like, Coca-Cola or something. Like, I don't know what was going on there. But, like, I was, like, sitting there, you know, looking at the two of them, you know, having this sort of, you know, restorative sauna, you know, bath or or you know, hot tub or whatever is going on in that, you know, beginning scene. And for some reason, I think I was flashing back to that, you know, uh, Avengers United, they stand cartoon or whatever. And I'm kind of like, wait, why is, why is helmet so old or whatever? And like, I kept expecting him to be like, you know, you know, whatever, you know, but, but, you know, obviously, like I said, that's not really, you know, comic continuity or anything. So there's nothing wrong with that. I think, um, I, I did have also, like, I think the, the stuff with, with Screaming Mimi, like, you know, the, like, some of that was pretty well written and kind of harsh. Like, I had, like, like strange, uh, like, I was concerned for her. <laughs> you know, like, like I yeah. was kind of like, one, one, she's getting, like, you know, total, you know, uh, you know, Pim you know, like, like, jostled across the room, like, she's a freaking, you know, uh, supervillain or whatever by her father, I mean, it's this very kind of dynamic, you know, swat across the room, where it looks more like, you know, her dad's like a superhero, and, and she's like doomsday or something, which is kind of crazy, so there's that aspect to it, but then the other thing, too, is, and I, I you, you know, you may know more about this than I do, but was Screaming Mimi ever revealed to be, like, sort of molested or taken advantage of because like like when, when she gets into the car with that guy i'm just gonna like she's like i don't know what like eight nine like i don't even know how old she is and i was just kind of like oh i hope nothing happens to her like you know it looks like she could take care of herself but at the same time you're kind of like she's just a little girl and some dude's just picking her up in the middle of the night because she's hitchhiking so i was kind of like Ugh, i think know? like her her pattern it seemed to be like when they went into her backstory like in the actual comic is like latching on to some guy to like take care of her or whatever <laughs> so like i i would hope that she wasn't doing it at that age like right. nothing bad right. happened to her but you never know i mean the, the other thing in this that was cool was the 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 ad for the the kind of the I guess you'd call it like the timely comics era ad for Citizen V stuff, you know? And I thought that was kind of neat. I mean, even though, you know, poor Citizen V gets the life strangled out of him in the actual story, but I thought, I thought the, the actual, you know, little kind of, you know, forties era comic book ad was pretty cool. It actually made me think like, Oh, maybe that's, 
maybe some of those. I don't think it's actually Daring Comics is the only thing. I think I think he was in Daring Mystery Comics. So I was like thinking, oh, maybe at some point we should we should look at some issues of those, you know, just for yucks and, and kind of like, you know, I, I'm not exactly the biggest Golden Age comic book guy, but like I wouldn't mind just in the context of this, you know, because Citizen B is a prominent character, like looking at some of those early timely appearances i'm i'm gonna exaggerate it a bit but i, I love that moment where like uh heinrich is kind of like to his son like well what do you think happened to citizen v and like you know helma's like i don't know like what happened and he's like i killed him don't cough like what do you think happened like... <laughs> i strangled him <laughs> yeah that's it but uh, just, Justin, like, was this your first time reading this, or had you read this before? And like, what what were your thoughts on it? I bought this off a newsstand. So at the time, not only not at the time, not only was I reading Thunderbolts, um, I was buying most of these minus one issues, and some of them I enjoyed, some of them not so much. But I remember. Um, picking up this issue and i was like oh cool it's the minus one issue and then seeing the cover and seeing hobo namor and i was like oh man this is gonna be great like i can't wait because like one of my favorite characters is showing up in this new book that i've slowly become accustomed to but like i guess i guess i'll talk about my apprehensions about thunderbolts like in another episode but um yeah i i remember reading this several times and really liked it um kind of like derek said I, I love the fact that Kurt Busiek had all his little continuity ducks in a row, and he's like, this leads to this, and this leads to that, and we can see a little bit of this, and we've even got a little bit of that. It's been a long time since I've read this, to be honest, so some stuff I took notice of now that maybe I didn't really take notice of when this originally came out with the stuff with Carla where she's manipulating her patients. Like, I understood that was not a, you know, not a nice thing to do. But now as a, you know, as an adult, I'm just like, man, like what a slimy thing to do. Like she's basically contributing to this woman's like problems that she's having in her life just by making this one phone call and, you know, like asking for her husband in this kind of like sing song voice. I'm just like, man, like I always knew she was a scumbag, you know, as, as a super villain. But like, I guess I just never really appreciated the fact that she was kind of scummy. Even before, even before she put on like a, her super villain costume, um, something that always kind of like amused me, and I, I I don't know why, but um, I always thought it was funny that Zemo's men, instead of having like the Nazi swastika on their armband, they had a Z. Like I always thought that was funny for some reason. I, I don't know why, but like seeing that in this issue, like it still kind of like makes me chuckle. It's like. It's like, oh no, we're not Nazis. We're Z for Zemo. <laughs> we're, we're Zatsis. Short, it's short for Ratsy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Derek mentioned that last page, that um, that ad from Human Torch Comics, where you see like all these characters that are appearing in Daring Comics, and I remember being really fascinated by that because I was always kind of fascinated by by Golden Age characters, and some of these characters I knew about like the blue diamond and the fin i like i knew of them but then guys like rudy the robot and the little professor i was just like what i was like i i had never heard of these guys before i remember like going to like a you know over the street price guy trying to like find information about them like 
you know, trying to like, find out what their first appearance was. And like, you know, Overstreet always had like a, a really nice cover gallery of, you know, old comics. And I, I was always fascinated by like looking at old comic book covers. So I was like, oh, I wonder if they've got any Golden Age Marvel comics where they have like, you know, Rudy the Robot like on the cover or something. But I, I was always kind of fascinated by that page. I thought that was really great. I, I was I was kind of I remember when I read it I was like hey it's the Thunderer he showed up on the 90s like Spider-Man cartoon like briefly. I also remember at the time I remember thinking like maybe this was like a clue or a hint as to what was gonna come in like future issues of Thunderbolts. I was like well they've already had the Citizen B guy show us so maybe maybe these guys are gonna show up and they're gonna be like their own super team like they're gonna be like the daring. Something they're gonna like fight the Thunderbolts because they know, you know, the son of their enemy like killed Citizen V or something. But I, you know that never happened, sadly. I, I, but I I remember thinking that and thinking like that would be a cool idea. I wonder why I didn't buy this because like I know you guys both got it off the stands, you know, as it was coming out. Like my distinct memory of of Thunderbolts, you know, without you know burying the lead maybe for other issues was like i read i think the spoiler in wizard and went oh that sounds cool because you know what i what i kind of remember is you know them showing up in incredible hulk and going ah another super team and they're you know sending everybody off to you know it was just after the onslaught thing and they sent all these guys off to you know heroes reborn universe and stuff so i was just like I don't got time for some other superhero team, you know, like who are these Thunderbolts guys? I never heard of them, like some brand new guys, you know? And, and then I think when I was sort of clued in on the twist, you know, basically then at that point I was kind of like, Oh, that sounds really interesting. And I think, I think wizard also somehow sold me on uh, Mark Waid's Kazar at the time. So I distinctly remember going down to, I went to Stanford and there was a comic book store there at the time, you know, on like a university kind of strip or whatever it was, you know, the street where there's all this kind of stuff like old movie houses and, and things like that. The comic store isn't there anymore. I think they turned it into like an Apple store or something stupid, but like there used to be a comic book store there and it was a really nice one too. And I, I remember the reason why I went there was because they would often have, like books on the stands, but like if you, I, I guess to, to put it in context, you know, maybe by the time I had read that article in Wizard Magazine, they were on like the third or fourth issue of Thunderbolts and Kazar. And so when I went to that store, it was usually easier, like you'd see issue three or issue four, whatever the recent one was up in front. But if you dug far enough back into that pile that was on the stand, You'd go, oh, look, here's two, here's number one, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember just buying whatever was there. So, I, you know, it could be a combination of I just didn't know it existed at the time. Or maybe the only other thing I could think of is, you know, Steve Epting is not really Mark Bagley. So maybe I at the time I was just kind of thinking, oh, well, this isn't the same guy that does the regular book, and maybe I wasn't as interested in the flashback issue, but those are the only things I can come up with, but I, I can't, you know, I can't really remember myself, and, and I was just looking it up while you guys were chatting, and I'm like, well, you know, according to the, you know, like, I was looking on Mike's Amazing World, and according to that, 
like this was a 1997 book. So, I mean, it would have come out, uh, you know, right around the same time frame. It says it's, you know, on the stands date was May 28th. So I'm kind of thinking, well, all those other ones I told you about that I probably bought all around the same time, you know, I probably would have been in that Stanford shop at the time. But maybe I just either overlooked it or it wasn't there or, you know, I don't know. I, I think I was, like, conscious of, like, yeah, like, it not being Mark Bagley, like, when I read this issue where I was like, well, I mean... Steve Efting's a great artist, but I was, you know, you, at the time you'd kind of be like, well, why isn't Mark Bagley dra drawing this? Well, like, you, you know what, what's interesting is it's always it's always weird for me to look back at Steve Efting's early work because I mean, you know, I, I think Justin will back me up on this because he loves the bomber era, you know, bomber jacket era Avengers stuff, and I mean, a lot of the stuff that Steve Efting did was in that era as well. You know, and and I'm thinking of it like, I, I guess for me, it's funny because even though I am familiar with all those books and, and, you know, even, you know, this Thunderbolts issue to a degree, it's it, it's kind of funny to me because I, I when when people say Steve Epting to me, I think what I immediately think of is like the Winter Soldier, like all the stuff he's done with Ed Brubaker, you know, and like I don't think of. The, you know, it's funny because when I was looking at like old posters sometimes like I like to do and see if there's something I want to, you know, bring to a con or get signed or something like that. I, I remember running into some of those old, I, it was probably like the uh, Blood Ties crossover or something where it was like the Bomber era jacket Avengers and, and the X-Men and they're all fighting Exodus or whatever. And there's some poster I think that, you know, Steve Epting probably did because he was drawing I think the Avengers book at the time. And it was like, just so weird to me going, Oh, he drew that too. And it's like, I, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I don't, I don't, you know, I know Justin loves that era, but to me, I don't, I don't exactly think of it as like the greatest end all be all era of Avengers. So it's funny to me to think of like, Oh, a story that gets such praise like the winter soldier. And then think of, Oh, this is the same guy who who drew stuff for blood ties. Like what? You know, like that's that kind of cracks me up. Yeah. yeah, I like um, Abner Jenkins scene. Like I like the Beatle. I mean, I I get like his origin story and all that, but it's kind of like you know I'm gonna make this big stupid bug armor that'll show everyone. I mean, I, I it's it's wacky like you know Stanley like early like crazy stuff but it's it like cracks me up every time especially when they try to like in this in like a quote-unquote like modern issue tries to like retell it like why what would possess this man to think that this was a good idea yeah i mean if if this were like you know a, a 60s issue like that last panel of him where he's designing the beetle suit like i'm sure there would be some kind of like stanley Word balloon where they were Abe would be saying, you know, they mocked Adner Jenkins, but will they mock the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> see that plastered over that like that. I think, you know, that's that's kind of the difference between yeah. like that chant that that Stan Lee, you know, Excelsior. And yeah, kind of and it, it it would be like like with these suction cups at the ends of my fingertips, I possess more power than any mortal man could ever dream. <laughs> like. Yeah, do yeah, not, not do not mock the War of the Worlds suction cup fingertips. <laughs> no. 
that's 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 all we need for our complete line of uh, yeah, Marvel Marvel Legends Beatles now, right? Yeah, the the suction cup beetle. Yep. But no, if they make him, they'll just like roll their eyes and stuff. Like, here's the beetle you wanted, you stupid <laughs> idiots. Like... No, they're and, gonna be like. No, no, it's going to be even worse. There's going to be, like, a press conference, and they're going, guess what rumor we heard, guys? We're going to make suction cup beetle. And all of a sudden, they're like, just kidding! We're making Gwenpool and, like, freaking whoever! You know, and you're just like, oh, man. Uh-huh. Dumb cops, you leave Gwenpool alone! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that that is the way, like you said, like, they, they act. It's like... It's like, good, we want Suction Cup Beetle. Where are you going to get him? Yeah, good, we want him. Well, you know, be careful what you wish for. We do wish for that, and we want him. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, anyway, like, like yeah, like, I like this issue, and it was a good... I, 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 I kind of miss, like, things like this. Like, nowadays, it seems like, you know, in, in as far as Marvel goes, it's like, they do, like, cover theme months, and that's about it. Like, there's no, like, they... Barely ever, like, I guess they don't want to hold their whole line hostage to something, but, like, what was the last time they did something like this? Like, I remember, like, Nuff Said month. I I don't know. Like, was there any, I I can't think of any recent examples of when, like, everything was, like, a certain theme or something like that. It's not, the last thing I could think of isn't even Marvel, but, and it probably doesn't even count because it's more along the lines of what you're talking about. It's more, like, cover stuff, you know? Because the last thing I could think of is that New 52 thing where it was like the, you know, WTF cover month or whatever, where it's supposed to be like some shocking fold-out thing, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah. look at the fold-out cover, and it's so shocking, you know, and that was the thing that was running through all the, the comic book lines at the time. But, yeah, I can't think of anything. I, I was thinking, like, maybe a modern equivalent, at least theme-wise, where you're kind of giving... Uh, a series of stories set in the past where you're learning new information about characters, like maybe like original sins where you had all these like, you know, shocking revelations that oh, were yeah. like, Oh yeah. Like farts in the wind. Like, Oh, like Tony Stark maybe missed with Bruce Banner's like gamma bomb. And it's like, not really. It was all kind of like a, you know, nothing build up, but you know, like I, I think theme wise, maybe that's the closest thing. You're like, Odin made Thor's toast with marmalade instead of grape jelly. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. I guess they, don't, they like I said, I guess they just don't want to hold their whole line hostage anymore for one month. Like, that probably pisses well, off the you know, writers, it, too. It, it, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's funny because I, I some of those things, I think there are those events where they're like to the writers, hey, if you feel like it, you know, sign up for this and if you don't then you can just ignore it or whatever and i you know i don't know though if it's one of those edicts where this is a line-wide thing and everyone has to you know participate then you you either have to get you know somebody from the ongoing creative team like kurt Busick on board or you know it's kind of like this sort of you know essentially like a fill-in issue where it's like oh you get you know another team to work on you know, something else, you know, whatever, whatever flashback story it is and stuff like that. Like, and I seem to remember all those, the, the Stan Lee heads, you know, kind of 
I, I, I want to say they carried over into like, you know, Chris Bacalo's like Generation X book too, because I seem to remember him always having like a certain caricature of Stanley, you know, saying stuff, you know, in the introductions of those books as well, or maybe they were in the like, you know, this is what happened last time, true believer or something like that. So, I mean, and I think that was a, that was a gag that they had in most of those flashback books to sort of, you know, bring you into it and maybe take you out of it. Okay. Well, I think we've said all we're going to say about this issue. Well, do, do either of you want to say anything else about this issue or? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, so we're going to take a quick commercial break, and then when we come back, we will be talking about uh, Captain America, what is it, Derek, 136? Uh, 168. 160. I knew there was a 6 in there somewhere. Do you have unexplained mood swings? Do you have difficulty communicating with others? Do you exert a fishy odor? Do you experience undue aversion to flames or revulsion of bonfires? Have you suffered from long periods of amnesia or unexplained blackouts? Do you like to toot your own horn? Speak of yourself in Shakespearean tones, or sound like Dean Warmer in Animal House. Are you a sociopath? Have you senselessly slaughtered innocent undersea creatures? Is your family tired of every vacation having to be to the beach or on a cruise ship? Do you have a secret collection of green fish-scale speedos? Then you may identify with the subject of our new podcast, Imperious Rex, Confessions of a Serial Surface Invader. Longer than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The neighbor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. Join us each week as we review the next installment from Prince Namor, The True Submariner's Adventures in Tales to Astonish, starting with the quest in issue 70 and moving forward through the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. Check out our blog at SerialSurfaceInvaders.tumblr.com for a new show every two weeks or so and a steady stream of ridiculous aquatic content. And please, if any five or more of the above conditions apply to you, seek professional help. Hey, welcome back. And uh, we're like I said in the first half of the show, we're going to explore a classic issue, um that kind of ties in with uh the theme of origins like of you know certain characters uh this is a uh, captain america 168 which is the i guess it, i guess it might be a spoiler if you're reading the issue for the first time but this is the first appearance of helmet zemo like you know the son of heinrich zemo who you know we saw in the minus one issue so uh Derek, why don't you give us like the synopsis, the lowdown, you know, sure. whatever. Sure. So, so of course, uh, the uh, the well, the on-sale date was September fourth, nineteen seventy-three, and the cover date is December nineteen seventy-three, according to Mike's Amazing World. The cover price of Captain America one sixty-eight was a whopping twenty cents, and it, it's interesting. Like if you look at the the uh, credits on the the opening splash page for And the Phoenix Shall Arise, which is the title of the story. It actually credits Roy Thomas and Tony Isabella as the writers. Um, It's interesting on on that, you know, the Mike's Amazing World page, it specifically kind of focuses on Tony Isabella as the writer and Roy Thomas as the editor of the book at the time. It's interesting because there is no editor credit. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking there's probably some credence to that you know, 
designation or, or kind of correction on the interwebs or whatever. The penciler is a uh, fan favorite Spider-Man artist, spectacular Spider-Man artist, Sal Buscema. Um, and let's see here. A mysterious villain calling himself Phoenix captures Captain America and renders him unconscious. When Cap awakens, he finds himself in a factory strapped to a large vertical slab, dangling above a cauldron of boiling fluid. The Phoenix reveals himself to be Helmet Zemo. We got the spoiler right away, so no big deal, Meg. The son of Baron Heinrich Zemo, one of Captain America's deadliest foes from World War II. The Phoenix proclaims his father's genius and speaks at length about his greatest inventions, Adhesive X and the Death Ray. But during a fight in World War II, Captain America flung his shield at Zemo, striking a vat of chemicals which permanently scarred his face. The effects drove Zemo mad and forced him to abandon his wife and young child. Naturally, the younger Zemo blames Captain America for this and has been nursing a lifelong hatred of him because of it. But now he has Captain America at his mercy, suspended above a vat of the same adhesive X that his father had invented so long ago. He is also armed with his father's death ray. Cap strains at the bonds, but he is making little progress though salvation is never too far away. The Falcon, along with Red Wing, bursts in through a factory window and distracts the Phoenix. Phoenix fires the Death Ray multiple times, but to no avail. This gives Cap enough time to strain against his bonds, finally breaking them. He flips out of the way so as to avoid falling into the vat of Adhesive X and reclaims his shield. The Falcon and Red Wing chase the Phoenix along a catwalk, but ultimately he tumbles over the railing, falling into the adhesive X cauldron himself. Cap and the Falcon believe Zemo to be dead. And much like that hobo guy, we never heard from the Phoenix ever <coughs> again. The end. Not really. But yeah, this is this is the first appearance of of Helmet Zemo as the Phoenix! So, yeah, I mean, for me, like, I think the first time I read this was when I was doing my my big read-through of, like, every issue of Captain America, like, right up to the release of the first Avenger, because I think that was when I was trying to, re- you know, top ten list of my favorite Cap stories, and I was just having fun you know, going through and, and, you know, reading a bunch of issues I had either never read before or, you know, rereading, you know, issues that you know, I had read, you know, off the stands or from the spinner racks or what have you, you know, as a kid and everything. Um, just in case anybody doesn't know, um, you might have fun checking this out. It was a power record adventure. And, you know, probably one of the easiest places to go to check that out is the Power Records, pro- uh, the Power Records podcast from the uh, Fire and Water Network. It's on their episode four that, you know, covers this issue or, you know, this sort of, you know, interpretation of this issue from Captain America. Um, so there's that as well, if you're kind of interested in like an audio drama version of this issue and everything. 
But um, I guess, you know, I'd go with, um, have you guys read this before? And kind of like, what's your what's your take on this issue, I guess? I've never read this before. And, like, I, I knew about it. Like, I knew, like, Helmet Zemo had been known as the Phoenix beforehand. And it's it's kind of like, like, I, I think I told you when we talked about, like, Captain America comics. It's like, I read Zemo's, like, chronology, like, backwards, almost. Mm. Like, I... I read, like, uh, Under Siege, and then I read his appearance in, like, uh, DiMatteis's, like, uh, Cap Run, and then I read this. So it's, like, going backwards, like, right, a step right, at a time, right, right. basically. So, like, I mean, it was interesting. It's kind of, like, I guess it at the time, I'm sure it would be, like, like LeShock. It's, like, you know, Heinrich Zemo's son or whatever. But now right, it's right. just kind of like, like, why are you calling yourself the Phoenix, bro? Like, what's the deal with that? Right, like, right, like, yeah. And what's with the costume? Like, the flaming red costume? Like, I, I, okay, whatever. Like, I get it. Like, I see what you're going for, but I don't know. But, and also, it's, it's, it's always weird to me to see the Falcon, like, without wings, like uh, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's right. He just kind of like run, ran around on rooftops like early on. Like it's it's kind of like weird, but uh, like I, I guess I got used to it. But but no, it, this was interesting though. Like I'm glad I'm glad I read it, and uh, I like I love obviously like Sal Buscema's art. So like I, I even even as early as it is before he got into his like more I guess like expressionistic stuff, but. Uh, yeah, like I liked this. Yeah, I mean the I I enjoy the art. I mean I think it's I think it's well done and you know it, I I guess to me it just brings a you know I guess that's why I brought up the whole you know him doing spectacular Spider-Man because for me there's a strong sense of familiarity with the style. So I think you know even when it's something that I didn't read off the stands, like I'm still sort of. You know, familiar with, you know, the, the Sal Buscema angry face. You know, like when Phoenix is like, Baron Zemo, the man you destroyed! You know, and he's just got, <laughs> you know, the, the whole angry face and everything. And then they go into all the flashbacks and stuff. So, I mean, that, that part of it I enjoy. And, and I totally understand, like, because this is not something that I immediately read i mean to me like zemo was always the guy i bought as a secret wars figure who was like zapping plants and shit that like grew from his like laser beam you know on the back of the secret wars you know card back or whatever to attack captain america and his secret lenticular shield or whatever you know so like i i don't think i ever i mean you know i'm, I'm sure there was stuff on the back of that little profile that kind of was like okay look this guy's an enemy of Captain America. Clearly, he's fighting Captain America in the little four-panel, you know, comic strip on the back of that card back. But that was basically my introduction to Baron Zemo. Like, that's how I knew him. So, like, I always knew him in that sort of Mike Zek design, you know, Zemo outfit myself. So, you know, this, like I said, I don't, I had not read this up until maybe, you know, mid 2011 you know so like to me I, I i get what you're saying when you say oh geez like this is like kind of a, a weird look back at kind of going oh well what, what's up with this costume because you know he's he's kind of got your typical you know kind of 
you know, tights and, and, and cape and stuff like that, except for, you know, the cape's kind of all tattered and it's almost like he's got kind of a, you know, dare I say, you know, electro, you know, Wolverine type mask where it's, you know, it, it kind of looks like the, the mask, the cape and, and some of the outlines of the, the gloves, boots and, you know, underwear, basically the tights, you know, all kind of have this sort of fiery theme you know, to split up the yellow from the red and everything. But, you know, that's, I, I, I think that's just, you know, one of those things. Like, I don't think, you know, you or I will ever get used to the Phoenix, you know, because that's not how we sort of came to the character. But it is, it, I, I think it is kind of fun and interesting just to take a look back and see that because, you know, at the time they probably just thought, oh, this was just a one-off guy. You know, he was, he was going to be the crazy son of, of Heinrich Zemo, and then he falls. I mean, you know, that 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 to me is the ultimate indignity of this. Is you know, the the end of it is he flings Cap's shield, and then it basically pulls the whole you know death too soon thing, where it it boomerangs right back at him and knocks him into the vat of acid. I mean, it's kind of like so you know, he, it, it's it's kind of a ignominious way for him to go out. And if that was his final appearance, he'd just be this one-off douchebag that nobody would remember but you know they did bring him back and he does have a long history after that so i think the last time i read this was a couple years ago when the three of us were doing the big captain america podcast um but as for like the first time i encountered it probably in the early 90s because i remember at the time uh there was this kind of a big indoor flea market I would go to and there was this one guy set up who had a ton of long boxes and I remember like buying a lot of 70s Marvel comics from him like a lot of like Avengers and Captain America but also some like horror stuff too like Son of Satan and Ghost Rider and you know oddball stuff but I got a lot of 70s Captain America comics and this was one of them and you know kind of like you said you read Zemo backwards like i kind of did too because i had already read under siege and then i read this so i was just like oh you know it's kind of like putting a piece into the puzzle i was like oh so this is his first appearance and this is where he comes from and this kind of leads up to under siege like in you know chronologically but as as far as like his code name and costume like i always thought it was so bizarre i was like well We've already got a Phoenix, obviously, you know, X-Men, of course, but I was just like, like, not only that, but his costume was just so, I don't know, it's not a terrible costume, it's just kind of so of the times, and then that, that costume and codename just do not fit at all, and I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm really glad that they decided to just kind of give him an updated costume that's kind of, you know, like uh, an updated version of his father's costume like I, I always appreciated that costume but like but yeah i i like this issue i mean you guys know i'm a big fan of roy thomas and you know in my head like roy thomas is like the silver age kurt Busiek because roy thomas was always like you know all about like continuity and making things line up and make sense and i always appreciate that about his writing and of course you know like i love the artwork i always like salvi you know especially on captain america just for frame of reference, Phoenix, like the Phoenix that we know, like Jean Grey as Phoenix, 
doesn't actually happen until like three years after this issue. So they're oh. they're to they're to be forgiven, I think. Oh, okay. I, I thought this yeah. was like maybe a couple of years after. Yeah, I think because because I'm 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 just double checking it now, like because 101 is where Jean Grey turns into the Phoenix, and that's uh, 76, and then this issue is 73. 73. Yeah. So I had the name first for a line. My name first. Yeah, exactly. I can just I, well, like you said, uh, Justin, about like the ridiculous costume. It's like I I feel like. Like Heinrich Zemo is probably like looking, watching like Helmet from Hell or something, and like, no, you don't cough. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what it's are you to... doing? It's like, and what did we do to the son that wore the Phoenix costume? We made him throw the shield back in his face. <laughs> but yeah, this is interesting. Like, I, this is something I had always heard of, but I never actually read. So. Yeah, I'm glad you suggested this. Yeah, I thought that'd be a good start for sort of a classic tie-in to Thunderbolts, yeah. The big war just claimed another victim's hand, and I couldn't save him. Wow, Steve, it wasn't your fault. Wasn't it, Sam? The Avengers revived more than an out-of-sync soldier when they freed me from that iceberg. What do you mean, Steve? They revived a whole generation's hatreds. Hatreds that should have been left frozen a quarter of a century ago. Say it again, Sam. Say it isn't my fault. Maybe the second time, I'll believe it. Goodbye, Captain America. Till we meet again. All right, then. Well, I got that, that concludes our first uh, episode of uh, Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning. Um, you know, we're gonna keep it, keep it moving, like, you know, I don't know how often we'll, like, release it, but, you know, like I said, we're gonna slog our way through in chronological order, probably, of, of every Thunderbolts issue, and we'll probably have a second uh, issue from the past that, like, relates to Thunderbolts uh, in the second half of the episode, so, uh, yeah, so, Derek, why don't you tell, like, you know, plug the rest of our stuff. Okay, well, if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you want to tell us, you know, how cool it is that we're now doing a Thunderbolts Index show, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are, of course, on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And in addition to justice not entirely dissimilar to lightning, we have many other spin-off shows. We've got the Fanholes Podcast proper show. We've got comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. And then we've got Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, and Transformers Tuesdays. Nice. Thank you. So yeah, until next time, uh, this is Mike uh, saying goodbye. Doing cough. <laughs> this is Derek. Auf Wiedersehen. And this is Justin taking a bath in my Coca-Cola Compound X. Thunder, thunder, lightning and the thunder.
Was my was my name 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 more? Bah! <laughs> it came to me. I said it. And now I've forgotten. It was, there's too much hobo smell surrounding too my much fishy smell. Uh, He needs to go get the human torch to shoot him in the face with a flame. Shouldn't they? They should just make a whole like series of hobo Namor comics. It should be like a whole storyline. Like fuck first X Men and Neil Adams and Christos Gage and all that hornswoggle and screw the Avengers 1959. We need like hobo Namor stat. You know, (laughs) can be done by like Howard Chalkin, Chicken. You know, it's like hobo Namor. You know, the adventures of hobo Namor. It, it, it's like they'll go into this whole thing where he gets clean shaven and wears a tux and does all this cool casino James Bond shit and then goes back to being a hobo, like, all in the span <laughs> of, you know, the, the storyline. It would be awesome. So this this was the first episode of this show. What was the, like, insane twist at the end? That we are... Maybe I'll, I, I should reveal that I've been Linkara the entire time. <laughs> And I didn't like all the mean things you guys said about me. Uh, like Derek secretly logs out and winks at the lobster women. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know. Justin, Justin actually hates reading. <laughs> books! In the universe. I will burn all the books. It's not what to read them. Hang on, my mouth is full. I give you two minutes for you and your gallant mouth. <laughs> Sorry, just trying to swallow wheat thins. No, no, gosh. How dare you interrupt my wheat thin enjoyment. I give you 60 seconds for your wheat thins. <laughs> okay, I know what happened. I was, I guess I just looked at my old notes and I had like listed flashback number one and then, wait, no. Nope, never mind. I don't know how I screwed that up. <laughs> my, notes, my, my notes clearly say flashback one and then one sixty eight and then mm-hmm. Thunderbolts one and then two seventy five. So oh, I don't know how I don't know how how I jumped ahead. You were probably just on autopilot. You wanted to get to the good stuff. <laughs> you wanted to get to the Mike Zach stuff. Yeah. I thought Derek was a dumb cough, but it was I <laughs> It was I by the way, Derek, you stole my used picture. <laughs> like, if I was Harlan Ellison, I'd be suing you. I'd be like, you stole my idea. That's my idea. <laughs> and I, I'll be uh, James Cameron just laughing my way to the bank with uh, <laughs> Terminator Terminator 2. You'd be like, king of the world. Thunderbolts podcast number one recognizes the contributions of uh, Justin Barber. Of Justin Barber. Um, but I am the king of the world for posting uh, Hobo Namor as my avatar. <laughs> Let the record show that Derek came up with Hobo Namor avatar idea first. 
legally binding. Like, who, who would win, Hobo Namor or the Hobo Goblin? <laughs> I don't know. Oh my god! I, what, what kind of what kind of contest is it like? <laughs> it's who's, an arm wrestling contest. Who's the better hobo? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think the hobo of Mike's imagination probably outweighs the the hobo <laughs> Namor from from Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four run. But you know, what do I know? <laughs> 